Hello, and welcome to Device Week, the podcast from MedTech Insight. I'm editor Reed Miller, and with me today are our San Diego-based editor, Marion Webb, and our UK-based reporter, Barnaby Pickering. So I'll start with Barnaby. So Barnaby, this week you spoke to the Chief Medical Officer of Adaptive Biotechnologies, Dr. Lance Baldo, to learn more about Adaptive's new technology it's called the T-Detect. Yes, I did. So T-Detect relies on T-cells. They are key components of the body's adaptive immune system, which work to neutralize pathogens. When infected by a pathogen, receptors on T-cells permanently change to neutralize the anti- antigens produced by them. Dr. Baldo described these as kind of the business end of T-cells. Um, they're known as the complementary determining region three, and it changes permanently post-infection. Receptors will develop specific to a certain antigen, creating what is often known as a T-cell's memory. These T-cells can be found for months or even years after recovery. By drawing a small amount of blood from a patient, extracting the T-cells and then genetically sequencing the receptors, T-Detect serves as a method to obtain a forensic history for a patient, spotting fingerprints of various diseases and past infections. So is Adaptive uh, working on this alone or are they working with somebody else? No, so they're partnered with Microsoft and they're using its dedicated machine learning hosting services to identify the particular genetic changes found within T-cells. The relationship is really quite strong and Microsoft currently has uh, 30 staff dedicated to the project. So how does that differ from the other kind of diagnostics we've seen that are currently being used? So the real big difference is the response of T-cells compared to the standard antibody system. Antibodies take upwards of two weeks to fully develop and their volumes drop off sharply by about six months after infection. T-cells develop their memory much faster, typically only a couple of days, but also retain it for much longer. With SARS-CoV-1, which led to the 2003 SARS outbreak, patients' T-cells remembered the virus for eight to ten years. This makes T-cell diagnostics much more effective for diagnosing prior infections. In particular, this will be useful for COVID-19, as it will provide methods to test for long COVID and test for vaccine efficacy. So are there any other applications for T-Detect? Glad you asked. There's quite a big range. When I spoke to Baldo, he conveyed a really grand vision for T-Detect. Adaptive are currently working on a range of tests for illnesses like Lyme, Crohn's and celiac disease. The eventual plan is to provide a panel test where a patient exhibiting symptoms of an unknown condition can have a small amount of blood drawn, which is then checked for a wide range of illnesses. This technology could apply to cancer, niche infections and autoimmune disorders, massively improving the speed and ease with which patients are diagnosed. Well, thanks for that. That's a great story. And I hope everybody has a chance to look at that because that's an important technology, um, especially in COVID. But as you said, uh, beyond too. So I'll switch to Marion. Now, Marion, MedTech Insight is now kicking off March by offering our readers a new and exciting feature. What can you tell us all about that? Yes, Reed. So this week, we are kicking off a new monthly roundup focused entirely on digital health. And in this new monthly digital health roundup, we'll be highlighting our great digital health content for our readers to easily navigate to. Okay, that's great. So especially for our readers who have a particular interest in the rising convergence of tech and med tech, a topic that you and your colleagues in the UK, Barnaby, who we already talked to, are very passionate about. So what can you tell us um, that we should expect to see in the first newsletter this week? 
Yeah, so the inaugural Digital Health Roundup will focus on our artificial intelligence and telehealth coverage. As many of our readers know, the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed weaknesses in the traditional healthcare system, which has led to renewed interest in artificial intelligence, specifically in applied diagnostics. So in our Digital Health Roundup, we'll be highlighting some of the companies that have integrated AI tools into their products, you know, in the hope to drive patient outcomes or to spot health trends early. We'll also talk about some of the regulatory challenges surrounding the issue of AI, which is closely followed by our Washington, D.C. reporter, uh, Ferduz Al-Farouk, better known as Danny Al-Farouk. And then finally, we'll highlight some of the telehealth bills that have recently been introduced by the U.S. Congress. Um, we'll talk some of the companies that are developing interesting telehealth platforms, such as Royal Philips, among others. All right. Well, that's a fantastic kickoff for our monthly digital health roundup. And there's certainly a lot more uh, from that to come. Yes. So thanks, Reed, for that. Um but now over to you. You've been following a reimbursement-related story related to cardiac monitoring that isn't getting a lot of press, but could be very important to that sector. What can you tell us about that? All right. So thanks. Uh, Long-term cardiac monitoring wearable devices. So these are electronic patch-type devices that can record a patient's EKG data for a week or two weeks at a time are becoming increasingly popular because more and more clinical data shows that this kind of testing can identify arrhythmias a lot more effectively with a lot less hassle than the traditional approaches of just doing checkups or doing a 48-hour monitor with a halter monitor, which is very old technology. So the companies that make these devices, which include some small up-and-comers like iRhythm or Cardiac Insights, um, but they also include some really big companies thanks to some recent acquisitions like Boston Scientific bought Preventus and Philips and Hillrom are now in this space. So now these companies really want the United States CMS to just establish national Medicare rates that cover these devices and all the services that go with it. And right now, Medicare has usually been paying about $300 for one of these extended tests, but the rate is left up to the local Medicare carriers. Now, CMS thought about changing that and putting this in there uh, new inpatient payment system, and they proposed to do that originally last summer. And then when they finalized the system, they decided, no, we actually don't have enough cost data and we don't really have a good way to do this. So let's just punt it back to the local carriers again. So that's when the problems got started at the end of 2020. Um, and then at the end of January, the regional carrier Novitas, uh, which is based in um, kind of Texas and, and that part of the, the country, publish a new payment rate schedule that, to make a long story not quite so long, only paid about $43 for one of these long-term tests. And that would be a particularly big blow to iRhythm because most of their Medicare business is going through Novitas, um, particularly through their one of their Texas offices. So what are they going to do about that? Well, so the problem seems to be that Novitas just decided to use the same payment rate for the shorter term monitoring uh, as they are going to use for the longer term monitoring, even though everybody understands that the longer term version costs a lot more and is actually a lot more effective. And so the companies think that they have a pretty good case to explain you know, what was wrong with this, this payment schedule that Novitas came out with. 
So iRhythm seems to be taking the lead on this because they have so much at stake. And they reported recently that they are now part of a consortium of companies that are working together to change this rate and get a more favorable rate. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what other companies were involved in that, um, but at least Irithm seems to be, you know, um, kind of leading it. And they've met with Novitas and are working on it. And they said they've had two, at least two, very productive meetings, but they didn't come up with anything. And yet, and and they are not sure if or when they'll be able to get more money for their remote monitoring patch, which is called the Zio. Do you think they'll get what they want? Um, well, they have a very strong case, you know. Uh, like I said, because what they're offering should be paid more than the old Holter system because, you know, like I said, the, the data shows that it does more and that it's better at detecting arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation. Um, but the analysts that I've heard from don't think it's going to be as much money as they were getting in, in the past. So without more specific invoice data, the payers have to come up with all these very complicated ways to figure out a price for something. And, you know, some of the analysts I've heard from think that it could be, you know, around $250. That would be optimistic. Maybe they can get that much um, on average for it uh, because they do cer certainly seem to think that it's just not going to be okay if it's way down around $40 or $50. That, that would really deter doctors from prescribing this and that would really be an access issue. So, you know, they're definitely going to take a hit, but hopefully it won't be as big as, of a hit as that. And if, you know, they can work this out, the Medicare carriers can always um, back up the, the pricing and make it retroactive to the start of 2021. So if you got your, your Zio device in you know, January, um, you could still get paid at whatever rate they come up with, even if it's, you know, they don't come up with a new rate until later in the year. Is this going to be a big problem for these companies? Well, in the short term, it's it's looking like it's a, a real hassle for iRhythm. So what they're doing right now is they're just holding on to all the claims they have. I mean, they're still selling the, the Zio, but they're still holding on to all the claims and just not getting paid for them yet. Um, and they're just kind of, you know, um, doing their accounting in such a way that the, the cash flow for whatever they sell now won't be recognized until later in the year. And they'll just have to kind of survive based on what cash they have. Um, I mean, the company is not you know, uh, profitable yet, still kind of a new company. So it'll be interesting to see how they sort all that out. But they, they say that they can do that um, until they get this rate sorted out and they can actually get paid for what they've already sold. And they're still pushing CMS to fix all of this and to, you know, create this national payment for this kind of service. So their hope that uh, is that that will all get hammered out maybe for next year or the year after, and they'll have, you know, national uh, payment and coverage for this and that's how it'll be going forward and so they won't have to deal with all the local uh, or regional carriers. So that will probably in the long run, this will just seem like, oh, that was just a hassle that happened in 2021. Because despite this problem, iRhythm is still growing really fast. You know, even during the pandemic, they grew nearly 25% um, in, in 2020 and about a third in the fourth quarter of 2020. Um, and the analysts seem to think that, you know, if it had not been for the pandemic, they would have grown 30% for the year, which is obviously very fast. I mean, like I said, they're not profitable yet, but they're they're working on it. And the big companies uh, are buying smaller monitoring companies right now, like I said, because it, it seems very clear that the possibility of collecting all this data remotely um, and in a very sort of non-intrusive patch-shaped device is just too much to, to pass up. There's just too much opportunity with artificial intelligence and big data to, to um for this not to become like the most important thing that's happening right now in med tech. And so that's just a big uh, paradigm shift 
of all we talked about, you know, digital health and AI and all that kind of stuff is all happening right now. So I think ultimately this can't stop that. This will just be a bump in the road. So the benefits for everybody involved uh, of these kinds of monitoring and data collection systems are just undeniable. So it's a tidal wave that isn't going to get stopped. You know, obviously reimbursement is always um, an issue in medtech, but I, I don't think in the long run this is going to be a big deal. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that update, Reed. That's an interesting case study of how one part of medtech is wrestling with a payment issue for sure. You can read about all of these topics and a lot more at medtechinsight.com. Right now, we also have a very insightful interview with a leading mass tort lawyer who specializes in medical device litigation, lots of regulatory news from the U.S. and Europe, and coverage of all the big mergers and acquisitions and major financings in medtech. You can follow us on Twitter at medtech underscore insight. I'm at medtech Marion. That's spelled M-A-R-I-O-N. Reed is at MedTech, Reed with two E's, and Barnaby is MedTech Barnaby. Thanks and have a good week.